Hello, I'm Damien Venuto. It's May 26th, and this is The Front Page, a daily podcast presented by the New Zealand Herald. A series of news stories this week have again shed light on the risk posed by the Alpine Fault. Experts are growing increasingly concerned that a devastating earthquake could be imminent, causing widespread chaos across the South Island and costing the economy billions of dollars. So how real is this threat? And are we prepared for the impact this will have? Today I'm joined by Otago University's Dr. Caroline Orcheston, who works closely with AF8, an organization developed specifically to prepare the community for the event of an earthquake. Dr. Caroline, over the last few weeks, we've seen numerous headlines again predicting a likely earthquake along the zone. Can you give us a sense of where the Alpine Fault is and where it stretches across New Zealand? Yeah, sure. So the Alpine Fault is what we call a plate boundary fault, and it marks the position of the plate boundary that runs right through Aotearoa, New Zealand. And so the Alpine Fault begins offshore just south of Milford Sound, and it makes its way all the way up to Springs Junction, which is about 650-odd kilometres, and it runs west of the Southern Alps. So it's this interface between two massive tectonic plates. Now, when was the last time that we had an event along that Alpine Fault? So there's really good evidence that the last earthquake on the Alpine Fault was in 1717. And we know that from a range of field evidence, I suppose, but the most compelling evidence is from tree ring data. And it shows that the trees of the forest on the West Coast were affected by a significant ground shaking event, and they all had a growth perturbation in that year of 1717. Now, looking at that period, we've had essentially 300 years of relative tranquility. So why is there suddenly such a heightened level of concern in regard to the Alpine Fault? So based on the evidence, you know, the Alpine Fault is towards the end of what we would call its seismic cycle. So over the last 8,000 years and longer, there's really strong evidence of regular earthquakes happening over time with a sort of mean return period, I guess, of 250 to 300 years. And so the Alpine Fault is considered to be late in its seismic cycle, which means we should expect an earthquake sometime in the next 50 years. And there's a likelihood of about 82% that that earthquake's going to happen within the next 50 years. So within the lifetimes of many New Zealanders today. Here at Arthur's Pass, we're right in the middle of the Alpine fault zone will be badly affected. The big threat here is more being blocked off, the rivers being dammed and possibly uh, flooding the place. Caroline, what do you make of the recent flurry of media reports on the issue? Are they helpful or is there a risk that we eventually become the boy who cried wolf too many times and people become numb to it? Well, I think the recent media like the North and South digital and video resources have actually, they're really helpful. They're very informative and interesting and they help people to understand a bit more about, you know, the risk and and how it might affect their landscape and their communities. And I think that all helps us to think through what we might do when the next earthquake happens for us. I mean, before the Christchurch earthquake, we'd had very long period with no destructive earthquakes. It was back in 1931 that we had our most significant urban earthquake. And so many decades had gone by. And as a nation, we were quite complacent. So we'd forgotten that we live on an active tectonic plate interface. And so I think media does help to bring it into the public discourse. And it does help us to bring us out of that complacency. Now, if we did see an earthquake, how large would it be according to the best scientific estimates? 
Well, we had some incredible science that came out last year from Jamie Howarth and colleagues, which showed that there's a 75% likelihood of this earthquake happening within the next 50 years. And so, as I mentioned, this is really an event that will affect most New Zealanders today. And on top of that, an 82% probability that the next earthquake will be bigger than magnitude 8 in, in size. So the Alpine Fault is able to produce earthquakes larger than magnitude 8, sort of in the 8 to 8.2 range, which is a really significant earthquake for New Zealand. Could you give us a sense of what a magnitude 8 earthquake looks like in comparison to, say, a magnitude 7 or a magnitude 9 earthquake? The earthquake scale, the magnitude scale, measures the amount of seismic energy released by an earthquake. And it's what they call a logarithmic scale. So what that means is that every 0.2 increment up the scale doubles the amount of seismic energy that's being released. And so if you compare, for example, a magnitude 6 earthquake with a magnitude 8 earthquake, that's almost a thousand times more seismic energy. And so the earthquake damaged Christchurch uh, was a magnitude 6.3. So it's somewhere around the 750 to 1,000 times more energy being released by this future Alpine Fault earthquake. So it's a significant event. Of course, the Alpine Fault is very long and the impact and the ground motion that's going to be associated with this earthquake is going to affect a large area of the Southern Alps region and will be felt widely across the South Island. In terms of devastation that this could cause, how would this compare to the Christchurch earthquake? The Christchurch earthquake that did the most damage was the magnitude 6.3 earthquake right beneath the city, and it was a very shallow earthquake. This uh, event, we developed a scenario for how this earthquake might look in future, and of course, scenarios are never exactly right. The AF8 program had a scenario for an earthquake beginning down in Milford Sound and pushing out the seismic energy up towards the northeast. And of course, because it's a big, long fault, it takes time for that energy to move right across the South Island. And so the footprint of a magnitude 8.2 earthquake is much larger than a Christchurch earthquake would be. So this is a South Island-wide event and it would be of national significance. What impact do you think this would have on the economy and livelihoods of the people who live along that zone? This is going to be very disruptive to day-to-day life for, for an extended period of time. There'll be many communities, particularly on the West Coast, that will be isolated by road because the Alpine Fold earthquake is going to produce strong ground shaking, which will trigger lots of landslides and other secondary consequences. And that's going to disrupt the flow of people along state highways, across bridges, etc. And so it will be significantly disruptive. We can expect a long period of recovery following this earthquake. Now, your studies have also included some investigation of the impact this might have on the tourism industry. What have your studies shown? Well, big earthquakes around the world, we all hear about them in the media, don't we? Because they do attract a lot of media attention, particularly when international tourists get caught up in chaos. And we've had a number of earthquakes recently, like the Kaikoura earthquake, where we had about 1,200 visitors uh, stuck in the in the township, which required evacuation and welfare, which was provided by Takahanga Marae. Tourists, they get stuck in a place and they tend to add quite a burden to the local community in terms of looking after them for a period of time. And that will be the case up and down the the West Coast, we're likely to have pockets of isolation, which mean that the burden of tourists in these towns will be quite significant and we'll have to work hard to evacuate extra people out of these towns as quickly as we can. It could happen tomorrow, it could happen in a hundred years, but if it happened tomorrow, it's not a bad thing 
to be a little bit more prepared. In case your house is munted, put a rat-free obtainer outside with some fresh water, a bit of food. If it's tin food, put a can opener in for God's sake. Now, as a science professional, how difficult do you find it to encourage the public to take these issues seriously? You know, we've noticed through our work with AF8 that there's a real appetite for knowledge. And, you know, one of our key aims is really sharing knowledge and giving people the information to help them to make their own decisions. So starting with a conversation, not talking down to people, but talking with people about the impacts and consequences of an earthquake like this, because we all need to acknowledge there's no single body of knowledge. We're not scientists sort of projecting exactly what might happen and what people should do. It's up to individuals to make a decision about how they choose to get prepared and what they can do as as a person as a whānau, as a, as a business to help themselves become better prepared. What about elected officials who actually have the power to drive change? Do you also face a slight battle in terms of reaching them? Well, look, we've done tons of engagement through AF8. We've presented numerous science presentations right through all levels of government, right up to you know ministries and through civil defence. They're the key partner of AF8. We work in partnership throughout this project and all of their partner agencies like police and fire and emergency, New Zealand and St. John, etc. So a huge range of stakeholders have been working with us on AF8 and there's a real appetite for change amongst those groups as well. They want to get better prepared. They want to work collectively so that they can respond to this event really effectively as as best we can. The probability of this event being so high now, it actually will allow us to move beyond just thinking about response to thinking about how we might invest in our infrastructure and our communities such that there's a high level of preparedness. We often talk about disaster preparedness in New Zealand. What steps are we currently taking to ensure that the communities most likely to be affected by seismic activity along the Alpine Fault are prepared? Well, look, there are heaps of different ways that's happening. I mean, civil defence and emergency management groups around the South Island, one of their key roles is to help enable community resilience. So there's a lot of support that goes in in that way. I think we have to be honest and say that people out there have a lot to deal with at the moment. We've just come through a global pandemic. We've seen a lot of people really uh, going through difficult times. They don't have enough money to prepare for an event like this. And so, you know, we have to be careful to be realistic about what people can do, but there is lots people can do that are free. That starts with talking to your neighbours, making a family plan for what you would do if the earthquake happens, if you're separated from your kids or your husband or your grandmother, how do you look after the people around you? And, you know, you can practice your tsunami hikoi, for example, and these are all free things that we can all do to help get ourselves and our whānau better prepared for an event like this. Do you think more could be done at a political level to prepare the community? I think New Zealand is is doing the best it can with the resources that we have. I think our National Emergency Management Agency is working really hard to build its capability and its capacity to support the nation in terms of dealing with these major events. I think we've come a long way in the last two decades since I started doing my work in this space. I think we've, we've come a huge way in terms of how we coordinate and work together to respond to these events and to recover from them. We've had you know, two major earthquake disasters in the last 10 years. We've learned huge lessons from that. And it's not just earthquake risk. We're talking about volcanic risk. We live on a plate boundary, so we have a range of hazards and risks that we have to face together. And I think all of the work that we're doing collectively across these multiple types of hazards is all helping build our national resilience. The Alpine Fault isn't the only example we've seen recently raising some concern. We've also seen growing concern about Mount Ruapeo with plumes rising from the volcano. 
Does this also offer reason for concern? We live in a very dynamic natural environment. We live on a plate boundary and these processes help shape our landscape. So the Alpine Fault has shaped the beautiful Southern Alps that we all love to go and visit and live amongst. These processes in the North Island are leading to volcanic activity. We have a number of significant volcanic hazards in the North Island. It's also climate change. We have increasing risk of rapid high intensity events like floods and storms. So as a nation, because of our geography, we have to be thinking collectively about how we we get prepared for these uh, significant events in future. As a science professional, what is your advice for the public amid the underlying threat that a natural disaster might occur within the next 50 years? I think knowledge is power and the feedback we get from our AFA audience is that they want to know more about these hazards and risks so that they can get themselves prepared and, and know what might happen in the future and be realistic about it. We have very trusted science. We have really strong scientific knowledge of the way the Alpine Fault behaves and the way our volcanoes behave. We have incredible scientists across the nation doing this sort of work. I think it's important for the public to learn and to understand what might happen in their own communities and to get prepared amongst their own people around them who live in their communities. Now, personally, as someone who knows a little bit more about this than virtually anyone else in the country, how do you manage to stay calm amid this underlying threat? As a geologist and and as a social scientist these days, I sort of appreciate the beautiful landscape that we live in. We live on a plate boundary that's driven the landscape that we all enjoy. And while I know that there's a significant power and potential for these events to happen in New Zealand, I wouldn't want it any other way. If you ask any person in New Zealand, would you rather live somewhere that's completely flat and benign in terms of hazards, they wouldn't want to go there, would they? Because we love living here. And so I think it's just something we live with. We learn to live with it every day doesn't mean you have to stress and worry every day. We can't predict when an earthquake is going to happen, but we can certainly prepare for it. Cheers for joining us today, Caroline. Kia ora. Thanks for listening to today's episode of The Front Page. You can read more about this and other stories in the New Zealand Herald, online at nzherald.co.nz, or tune in to news bulletins across the NZME network. With thanks to our producer and editor, Sean D. Wilson, and executive producer, Ethan Sills. You can follow The Front Page on iHeartRadio or wherever you get your podcasts. And tune in tomorrow for another look behind the headlines.